What is going on with Kansas basketball? They're not really struggling a whole lot, but to Kansas basketball standards, they are. Is it a result of the Big 12 just being so good? Is it a result of Kansas not having enough talent? We'll talk about all that here today on the 10 of 12 podcast. Welcome in here. Uh, Scott Chasen is standing by from Fog.net. He's going to be talking KU basketball as well as some Big 12 basketball discussion towards the end of the show. Uh, real quick here, be sure to follow us on Twitter at 10 of 12 podcast. I'd appreciate that very much. You can stay up to date with everything going on around the Big 12. The latest updates, news, predictions, scores, highlights, everything is there on Twitter at 10 of 12 podcast. But without further ado, let's bring in Scott Chasen from Fog.net. Scott, how's it going today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for for taking time with me, man. Uh, are, are you a Chiefs fan? Or are you just kind of a neutral NFL fan? What are you? Uh, where do you stand on that? I'm a Chiefs fan. I grew up going to games. We've had season tickets in my family since like the 70s, and gotcha. I lived in Oklahoma. That's where I was raised. But yeah, I grew up a big Chiefs fan. Gotcha, man. I, I love following you on Twitter. I think the best part of following you is your your analytics and, and your, <laughs> what game theory. Uh, you know, all the coaches' decisions they do right or they do wrong. I'm always I'm always happy to see what you have to say about them, man. Yeah, some yeah. would disagree with you. Some would say I tweet a little bit too much about that. No, um, man, I come think on. that might be no. that might be fair. But, well, uh, I, I took a sports econ class last year, and it was there's like a section of you know all about that stuff and going for two down fourteen and all that stuff. So I always always enjoy that. But uh, we're here to talk KU basketball. No football today. <laughs> um, heck of a win for those Chiefs, though, if I must say so myself. But KU basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, will be the topic of discussion here, so let's just go right into it here, man. What's going on with KU basketball? Obviously, the Big 12 is loaded. We all know that. Baylor's a heck of a team. Um, you don't have that leader on your team. Is that the biggest issue for Kansas, not having a leader? I, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Uh, for starters, if the scheduling had worked out a little differently and Kansas had played the games it was supposed to play. Kansas wouldn't have lost three in a row. Kansas probably wouldn't have even lost three out of four because they would have played Iowa State, who Kansas State fans will also know Iowa State is not a very good team this year uh, at Allen Fieldhouse, and Kansas would have stomped them. And then coming off that game, I have to imagine they would have beat OU. But uh, there are legitimate problems for Kansas. I think one of them is not having necessarily that guy. Um but there have been past Kansas teams that didn't have that guy in, in terms of maybe a, a vocal leader who was also leading by example, and they've found ways to, to play well. Um, I, I think it's a combination of, you know, inconsistent play from guys that you thought maybe you could count on early in the year. I think uh, the up and down play of David McCormick, I think uh, this team working in a lot of new pieces and then also acknowledging you know, you, you don't get to claim a national championship for last year, although I think Kansas should hang a banner um, just because <laughs> I think what one of the programs is hanging a banner for being ranked number four at the end of the year. And so if they're doing that, then you can hang whatever you want. But uh, this is a it, it's a rebuilding year. Kansas doesn't really have those. I mean, usually those years are, you know, two, three, two seed, three seed, four seed. But that's what this feels like. This feels like. Uh, a year coming off a final four and national title where you lose two all Americans to the NBA and you lose another key senior and okay, now it's time to rebuild and you have a good top 25 team, but not a top 10 team. Um, and, and that that's what this feels like. I think it feels a little bit more like the sky is falling in Lawrence because the tournament didn't happen last year and you didn't, you know, get the team that was going to be the number one overall seed. That team didn't get a chance to go to the final four and then, you know, rebuild from that. You're really rebuilding from nothing. You're rebuilding from an incomplete season. So I think there are some problems. 
I think there are some solutions, maybe some coming sooner than we think. Um, but, but what I think you have is a Kansas team that is good, but not great, you know, is, is up there with the Texas techs of the world, uh, but probably not up there with the Baylors of the world. I was watching that game against Oklahoma on Saturday and Fran Fraschel was harping on Marcus Garrett having to be, you know, he had to be the pilot. He had to hand out the peanuts. He has to, you know, fly the plane, you know, get the bags all handled. Do you think that, that Garrett needs to step up more or is it someone else needs to step up and compliment him and, and be dual leader, so to speak? Well, if Bill Self is to believe, be believed, Bill Self thinks it's an everyone else issue, basically. And uh, he kind of put it on his, uh, said it on a, I can't remember if it was a media availability or a radio show or something, but it, but he said a little while back, you know, basically that Marcus Garrett in the past has been the Robin to someone else's Batman in terms of ball handling. Let's not forget Marcus Garrett led the big 12 in assists, assist to turnover ratio uh, and was the best defender in the country a year ago. So he's obviously a very good player, um, but this year he doesn't have a Robin in terms of ball handling. He's the Batman and the other players he plays alongside, you know, Christian Brown, Ochai Abaji, Jalen Wilson, these guys don't really handle the ball uh, and the one guy who does and who could take some pressure off him in Dewan Harris uh, isn't a shooter. And Garrett isn't a shooter. And if you play a big man who isn't a shooter, now all of a sudden you just have a, a lineup that, um, I mean, could set basketball back 50 years in terms of floor spacing. So um, I think there's been a lot that's been put on him. I mm-hmm. think he at times hasn't played well, at times had turnover issues, at times uh, hasn't maybe had the impact he's used to having defensively. Um, but I think a lot of that is because he has to do just about everything because other guys on the team have been really inconsistent. And, you know, one Christian Brown is kind of the, the shining example of this. Christian Brown has eight games this year shooting, I believe, 44% from three or better, eight games. Well, he also has seven games this year shooting 25% or worse from three. So there's really been no middle ground. Mm-hmm. It's been he plays terrific. Or he shoots horribly, and and sometimes in those games he doesn't contribute in other ways. Jalen Wilson has been the same way. Jalen Wilson was Kansas's best player for a month and a half, and then you look at recent games. You know, the first meeting with OU, he has seven turnovers. The most recent meeting with OU, he has three turnovers and a ton of defensive mistakes. In between those two games, he shoots two for seven and then shoots two for seven again. So it, it's been a lot of inconsistent play around him, and I think that's made it hard on Garrett. Garrett hasn't had the big man in the paint like Yudoka Azubuki to be able to throw it to. Um, and, and then, you know, his limitations are still his limitations. He's a good, not great athlete. Uh, he doesn't shoot the ball well. And, you know, he's he's tough. He wants to play a lot of minutes. But if he plays 38 minutes, he's not going to be the same intense defender, f- facilitator on the other end, driver getting to the, to the rim. Uh, I think it's a tough situation for him to be in, mostly because they don't have that at least to this point, that second ball handler who's shown an ability to play next to Garrett um, and contribute without hurting the offense because of the the lack of spacing threat. Let's go back to, was it November when they played Gonzaga? Um, mm-hmm. do, you, do you think this team has, I wouldn't say declined, but I would say have they declined since then? Or has the Big 12 just been so tough that they're not able to progress anymore and they've kind of just flattened out at this point in time? Probably both. It's probably a plateau that looks like a decline because of what you just said. I mean, how ridiculous the schedule is. But, you know, yeah. normally Bill Self teams get better around this time of the year. Um, but they hit there. There's usually the January lull is not uncommon. You know, when they won the national championship, they lost two or three. 
uh, when they were the number one overall seed, I believe in 2015, 16, they lost three of five. Uh, when they were a number one seed with Ben Macklemore in uh, 2012, 2013, they mm-hmm. lost three in a row. Yeah. And one of those was to a horrible, a horrible TCU team that <laughs> uh, prompted the Bill Self Topeka YMCA could have beat Kansas um, comments. And, and those teams were all, I believe, one seed, one seed, one seed. Uh, and even the Elite Eight or the uh, Final Four team with Devontae Graham, that team lost back-to-back games. That team had a lull. That team lost at home to Oklahoma State. I think that team lost like three home games that year uh, and they had a team meeting or, or a really awkward kind of, I think it was an alumni event where, you know, Bill Self sort of chewed out the team in front of all these guys coming back. And, <laughs> and that was one where it felt like the sky was falling too. So this is not, you know, totally abnormal for them to hit a stretch like this and then find some fix or solution. I think what's different is back at the beginning of the year, you had Jalen Wilson playing really, really well. And defensives have kind of adjusted to that. Some people want to say it's, well, they're not playing five guards anymore. They don't put them at the center spot. Well, the last time KU's five guard lineup outscored someone in a game when, when it was on the court versus the opponent was against North Dakota state. Uh, and that includes three games where they've spent double digits using that five guard approach. It, it's, there are some things it does well, but there are some things it flat out hasn't done well. And people, you know, on, on Twitter and stuff that seem to think that's the fix. Just play five guards, you know, get rid of the big men. Well, they tried it against Texas Tech. It didn't work. They tried it against Texas. It didn't work. They tried it in the last game. It didn't work. You know, at a certain point, you, you've got all these ingredients. You just have to find the right way to put them together. I think Bill Self's going to mix up the lineup this week. I think the next game will have new starters, probably plural. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think they've, they've kind of flattened just because the conference is tough. Guys like Jalen Wilson aren't playing as well as they had been. And, you know, David McCormick had a little bit of a hot streak for three games. And and even he's kind of dropped right back off and teams have started guarding him a little differently. So there, there's a lot of stuff they're still trying to figure out. I don't know all the answers yet. I don't think Bill Self does either. But um, it, it does feel a little bit different just from the perspective of maybe the talent level is a little bit down this year. So maybe they, they can't, maybe they won't be able to, to kind of put things together and, and have a great ending like Bill Self kind of alluded to. He basically said the storybook season is over. That's not happening, but a storybook ending is still possible. Uh, that's kind of his, you know, uh, I guess phrase or mantra coming off the, this most recent game. Uh, maybe they don't have the talent level for that. I don't know, but uh, I think they're going to try some unorthodox things and and mix it up this week. Talking about, you know, sort of a, a five guard lineup. I, I haven't seen every KU game this year, so I don't know what I'm really talking about here, but mm-hmm. with McCormick in there going up against, you know, Brady Manick or whoever it was down low for Oklahoma, he was scoring, especially to start off that second half. And then they kind of went away from that and Oklahoma started playing well. So uh, I know you kind of kind of answered this here, but would you rather them go five guard or not? I think McCormick is, like you've said, he's been hot and cold. You know, some of my friends, we joke about whenever he touches the ball, you're just like, oh boy, you know, mm-hmm. what's he going to do here? Is he going to throw it off the backboard? So are you a fan of of him being on the court or not? I, I think it probably has to be a happy medium between the two. Um, against OU, they decided they were going to play five guards when Brady Manick was at the five because they didn't want David McCormick having to chase Brady Manick around on the perimeter uh, and guard the three-point line like that. They thought, yeah. you know, in the first meeting, Brady Manick didn't play, so uh, he was able to guard uh, Kuwait or however you say his name, and, and McCormick <laughs> just dominated that matchup. He didn't get a bunch of rebounds because of how OU's offense operated. It 
pulled him out to the perimeter, especially defensively. Um, but he scored 17 points. I think he had three blocks in that game. And his points were, you know, give me the ball in the block. I'm going to back you down basically because I'm stronger than you. I'm bigger than you. And I'm going to score over the top of you. Um, he had three really good games, scored 17 plus points. And then Baylor, you know, I've kind of joked about this too. Like David McCormick faced what I called the Twitter defense um, for three straight games, which was, you know, people on social media dogging him and saying he's not very good and he's a worthless player and all this stuff. So what happens, you know, teams don't respect him. They guard him one-on-one. They don't send help. And David McCormick is too good of a basketball player to not send help. You don't do that. You know, he scored 22 points against Oklahoma state. He scored 17 against Oklahoma I can't remember the, oh, the, I think the TCU game was the other game in that stretch. He absolutely dominated that game on both ends and made life miserable for Kevin Samuel on the, you know, on on the TCU side of things. And then Baylor said, okay, you know, you're, you're a decent player. We're going to send a double team at you. And immediately that kind of, it looked like it bothered him. It forced him into turnovers and mistakes. It made him look sped up and shaky. He committed fouls on the other end. And and so I, I think when teams do actually respect, you know, hey, this guy can hurt us if we don't account for him, uh, that makes it harder to keep David McCormick on the court because he hasn't shown the adjustment in his game to know how to deal with those double teams and know what to do when when teams are attacking him that way. Um, I I think it's unrealistic for Kansas to play more than maybe 20 minutes of five-guard basketball a game because I think you're going to wear down your wings uh, when you do that. Jalen Wilson and Tristan and Aruna, it it takes a toll on their bodies to have to play the five and rebound and battle like that, um, especially with Jalen Wilson, who's going to be the guy most of the time. So I think it handy or or, um, handcuffs maybe the the amount of time you can you can play it. It caps it. That's the word I'm looking for. It it, it caps it at probably 20, maybe 25 minutes a game, maybe more situationally. But um, I I think the answer is McCormick has to be good enough um, and he has to develop and and get better at the things he's not doing for the other 15, 20 minutes because, you know, Mitch Lightfoot is a fine player. But the Jayhawks got outscored by eight points with Mitch Lightfoot on the court against Oklahoma. And, mm. and he had mistakes defensively. He lost Brady Manick on one three-point shot. Um, he does some good things, but he's he's a matchup-based player at this point. You don't want to be relying on Mitch Lightfoot for 15 minutes, 20 minutes um, to hold down that five spot. I think the better options are five-guard basketball or McCormick. So anyway, long answer, but I think the answer is both. I, I think the answer is they need McCormick to play better and they need the five guard lineup to probably hold its own for for significant stretches or you know it's going to be really hard for this KU team to get a lot better. You led me right into my next point with with Mitch Lightfoot. I go back 3 or 4 years ago, you know, going looking when he was a senior, you're thinking he's going to get 30 maybe 35 minutes a game. That just never happened. He never progressed. What happened with Mitch Lightfoot? And and why well, did he I really want to know why did he redshirt last season? I still don't get that one. Yeah. Well, I think they knew with Yudoka coming back and David McCormick that Mitch Lightfoot was basically never going to see the floor. So I think it made sense at the time to say, you know, hey, this guy's got a great chance to start. Maybe it'll be at the four, whatever. And, and you know, I think Mitch Lightfoot's game has come along a little bit. But the, the thing is about him, he has things he does really, really well. He takes charges at a, a, a an elite level nationally, I would say. He's a terrific weak side 
uh, rim protector in terms of shot blocking. Now that doesn't mean he's, I, I wouldn't call him a great shot blocker because he's not the kind of guy to wall you up in the post and block your shot, but he'll come over from the weak side and, and block a shot, which is a really important trait. I think, um, you know, guys like Tyson Chandler in the NBA, I mean, that it's just such an important and valuable tool. And then when you combine it, obviously with good one-on-one defense that, that takes you to the next level, but he, you know, he's good. He's good at what he's good at. He's an energy guy. He has the right attitude. He's a good practice player. Um, the right attitude. He says the right things. Um, you know, I, I think there's value to having him around, but I think at a certain point you are who you are and, you know, his shooting, his three point shot never really developed enough to make that a weapon. Um, his interior game is okay, but he's not a good enough interior score to be, you know, your first, second or third option on the court. Um, you know, he, he makes a lot of high IQ plays, but he's also been out of position defensively a lot of times this year. Uh, he doesn't rebound well enough, especially on the defensive glass. He's had a number of games where he's played double digit minutes and had zero or one rebound on the defensive glass. So, um, you know, I, I just think he is who he is. I think he's, he's improved in some ways. He's kind of stuck around and you know what? He could come back for a sixth year, uh, if he so chooses uh-huh. next year. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if he will or won't, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a tough fit. It's also a little hard for him too, because to me, he, he reads as a four man and basketball and, and Bill self basketball, especially has largely just kind of, you know, wiped away the four man. that, that position really doesn't exist anymore unless you are an elite, elite four man. I mean, West Virginia struggled to play Derek Culver with Oscar Shibway together. And that's like the best situation you could ever mm-hmm. have in terms of a yeah. front court. So I, I think that's part of it too. You know, he's a little too small to play the five. He doesn't have the strength and rebounding. And then, you know, his weaknesses are his weaknesses. And, uh, I'm not sure how many of those, you know, there's there's much time for him to get that much better at. Let's jump to another player, Christian Brown. Personally, I don't know how high his ceiling can get in the Big 12. Uh, am I wrong? No, he's a great player. Uh, and he has the potential to be a, re- a really special player. But right now, he, he's just been so inconsistent. And, you know, it, it's crazy to think half his games have been good and half his games have been bad. But, you know, it, it's really as simple as that. Like, you can usually tell by his first two or three shots is he going to be good or bad? Because, you know, he, I think he went 0 of 5 and 0 of 3 uh, from three last game. And and he's had a number of games where he's like 1 of 5, 1 of 6, 0 of 4, um, something like that from three point range. And it, it's just a, a kind of rough all around performance for him. The thing he can do right now uh, is contribute on the glass. He's a great rebounder, very good athlete, very smart player, obviously. Um, but using his athleticism is really important defensively is probably the area that will determine how much he plays. And and if he's one of the guys who actually leaves the starting lineup, because against Oklahoma, he had a a pretty horrible defensive game where um, at one point, you know, it's maybe forgivable if a guy gets back cut, you know, the, the, he loses sight of his man, that guy cuts behind him and gets to the rim. Uh, Christian Brown. I I don't even know if there's a term for this. The guy like went to back cut but he was so far out of position, the guy actually cut right in front of his face, and he didn't notice it. Like, mm. his man just walked right in front of him straight to the rim for what would have been a wide-open layup, but someone rotated over and blocked the shot. And he re- he reacted, but, like, way too late. So clearly yeah. they weren't in zone or anything because when he noticed it, he immediately tried to correct his mistake. But it, but he let this guy just walk right in front of him, basically go to the rim. And, you know, it's defensive mistakes like that that I think are kind of driving Bill Self crazy right now. Because this is a KU team that very early in the season showed the potential to be great on that end. And when, you know, you have a guy like Brown who's been so up and down shooting the ball, 
what you need is consistency in some area. Are you rebounding? Are you defending? You know, are you guarding? Are you talking? Are you communicating? Um, and I think that's the next step for him is doing all of those things at a consistent level. Um, and, and so that way, maybe it's a little bit more palatable when he isn't shooting the ball well, because, you know, right now he's had a, a good year, I would say, but it's been an up and down year. And I, I think KU would like a little more consistency there. Scott Chasen talking with with us here on the 10 of 12 podcast. We'll be right back here after a quick break. We'll be continuing to talk about some KU basketball as well as some Big 12 hoops. We'll be right back. Welcome back in here to the 10 of 12 podcast. I am your host, Ryan Gilbert. Scott Chasen from thefog.net is joining us here. Uh, Scott, we'll start it off with this here. You mentioned it earlier with the talent from Kansas, and I don't know if you remember this from, I think it was Jeff Goodman mm-hmm. who, yeah, who tweeted about Kansas essentially not having enough talent, or I guess not the talent that 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 Coach Self is used to having at Kansas, right? Do you agree with that statement or not, man? Is that is that fair to say? I think it, I, from a perspective, I do think it's fair. I think it's always been fair because, you know, there have been Kansas teams that have played well without the quote unquote Kansas talent. Um, yeah. Usually they have one guy though, that kind of emerges and, and shows like the, the team I, I think of with that, like the Devonte Graham, Svima Luke, LeGerald Vick, Malik Newman, Yudoka Zabuki team that, that went to the final four. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess you could say Malik Newman was a five-star recruit. He was, but He went to another place and then he transferred, you Mm -hmm. know, because it didn't work out. That team didn't necessarily have, you know, blue chip talent that, you know, just all these five stars and whatever, but, but it kind of came together. Um, The Ben McLemore team would be another example of that. Ben McLemore was a guy that, you know, when he committed to KU, he was, or or when he got offered by KU, I can't quite remember, but I'm pretty sure he was uh, playing center for his high school and he was a backup on his own AAU team and he red shirts his first year. Um, and again, there are some good players on that roster, certainly, but, you know, you're talking about him starting next to Travis Relaford and Jeff Withy, another guy who, you know, didn't work out somewhere else and, and joined the KU program, Kevin Young, another transfer, mm-hmm. um, and that team turned it on and got pretty good. So I agree with Jeff Goodwin from the perspective of this is not one of Bill Self's most talented teams. Um, uh, but I would also counter that and say, Arguably one of his most talented teams was the Devon Dotson, Quentin Grimes, Diedrich Lawson that season, which had, you know, in the recruiting class, three McDonald's All-Americans and Dotson, uh, Grimes, and David McCormick. Um, it had Doak for a little bit, had LeGerald Vick, Ochai Abaji, whatever. You know, that team had some talent, and that team was arguably Bill Self's worst team that yeah. he's had, yeah. you know, coaching yeah. Kansas. So sometimes I think talent level is a little bit overrated, but I do think that's something that's missing uh, from this year's team would be that guy. And, and you know, maybe there were some signs Bryce Thompson could become that defensively. You know, his offensive game hasn't come around, but he's had Bill Self's trust defensively, um, which is impressive for a five-star uh, recruit known mostly for his shooting. But, you know, he took a bad fall. He took him a little bit of time to come back from injury. He comes back and then what happens in the first game back, he breaks one of his fingers and now he's, you know, out a little bit more time. So um, yeah, I think this team has, is down on talent from some of the bill self teams. I don't think that has to be a death sentence per se, but it requires a lot of other things going well. Um, and I think in part, not having guys playing turned up as, as bill self likes to say that can't happen. If you don't have the talent, you have to have, you know, that much more from a buy-in perspective. And I think that's where they're trying to get to right now. 
before we go to Big 12 basketball, real quick, let's talk about the whole the saga of the investigation going on with the mm-hmm. with the NCAA. What's the latest on that, or even you know, is there is there anything <laughs> as of late to report on? Yeah, the latest is there is no latest, and it's just <laughs> going to be kind of the secretive process until it isn't. Um, KU's in the the kind of independent review process that the NCAA has has kind of mounted. We don't really know what that's going to look like. We don't know how it's going to go. Um, you know, someone said after the last game, they said, you know, Kansas should just declare themselves ineligible for the postseason this year and and see if that, you know, kind of sneaks by the NCAA as punishment, um, to which I responded. But I, I would expand on it, say that's not going to happen because Kansas's stance is Kansas hasn't done anything wrong. And, you know, Kansas did things that other programs do. And, you know, they're fighting basically all charges and you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I won't bore anyone. The the important details of the case are basically that, you know, there is wrongdoing with essentially uh, or alleged, I guess, with, you know, Adidas and prospects. And, you know, there there seems to be some cadence to that. Kansas is saying, hey, it's not Kansas's job to to monitor Adidas. And, you know, they actually have some some decent points I read through. Gosh, at, at least dozens, I'm sure it was more than 100. I can't remember how long it was now, but pages and pages of casework. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things mentioned in there was Mike Bray, the coach at Notre Dame, who, you know, pretty good reputation. You know, he's quoted at one point of saying what Kansas is doing is what every coach is doing. These conversations are legal and they're not asking for wrongdoing to happen, but that, you know, maybe these executives or people at, at apparel companies are taking it the extra step. I, I don't know. I'm sure if you're a Kansas State fan listening to this, you think <laughs> that's the most, you know, bogus homerism, whatever. And if you're a Kansas fan, you're probably thinking, yeah, hey, maybe, you know, another coach is saying this, whatever. Um, I don't know how it's going to go. I, I honestly have no idea. But Kansas is fighting tooth and nail. And, uh, you know, eventually there will be an answer. Seems like this process has been slowed uh, by the pandemic. It's kind of I think made the timeline drag out a little bit longer, but you know, eventually we'll get some kind of an answer. We'll read through some kind of a ruling. We'll see how the NCAA or or how the IARP uh, rules with regard to Kansas. And, you know, we'll get to cover that and write about it and see where things go from there. Well, what is the likely outcome? Is it a, you know, a loss of scholarships or a, a tournament suspension or revoke of wins? What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Well, I think there are five level one, uh, charges or allegations or however you want to say it. So those are the most severe. So if if the IARP comes back and says, you know what, those are all valid, then I would guess a lot of trouble. I would guess scholarship reduction, postseason ban, maybe a show cause of some kind. I, I don't think that would be necessarily off the table, but you know, there's also a world where they come back and they buy Kansas's argument and they say, Nope, you're off the hook. I mean, it, it, it seems like there really is not much of a middle ground because of the way Kansas has argued this case, which is basically deny, 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 refute. You know, I think Bill Self has, I don't know if the word malicious has been used uh, quite, a, but he's basically said that like the NCAA is trying to force something and, you know, feels like it has to go after someone and, you know, they haven't used the word fabricated, but it's essentially kind of like forced a case. So, you know, I, I mean, it could be pretty severe if uh, the IARP comes back and says, nope, you're you know, guilty on all fronts. I would expect there to be some pretty harsh punishments. If they come back and they you know, side with Kansas, then I would expect uh, it to not be too terrible. Now, Kansas does have a couple 
uh, lower, like much, much, much lower level football violations that were alleged. Just some things with like an assistant who might've been working with players when he wasn't able to, or before he was promoted at a certain point. Um, that's part of it. Last I heard, I think Kansas was trying to separate those two things and even just say, Hey, rule on the football stuff. We don't care, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know the latest on that, but, um, that's another part of it too. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, but I, I wouldn't expect anything much to come with, uh, with the football program. I'm just upset with they didn't have late night at the fog this year. That would have been <laughs> whoever the guest would have been there. That would yeah. have been fun. But uh, we'll switch gears here. Talk about some Big Twelve basketball just in general here, uh, Scott. What's the been what's been the, the biggest surprise to you so far? I guess what team could be a bad team like you know K State, Iowa State, who's really struggling, or a team like Baylor. I, I guess there's no surprise with Baylor, but you know maybe Texas yeah. kind of shocked some people. What's the biggest surprise to you? I mean, I, I don't think there's necessarily been a huge surprise. I think OU is worse than I thought OU was going to be. I really like their guards, really liked Harmon, really like Reeves, really like Manic. Uh, they really haven't materialized the way I thought they were going to. Texas Tech's probably been a little bit better just working in their, their transfers and pieces. I thought that was going to be a little bit of a struggle. It really hasn't been. Um, and I think that's a good win that Kansas went to Texas Tech and beat them. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma State's been a little bit better than I thought uh, they would be, especially with their departures. Obviously, Cade Cunningham is a huge part of that, but they hung with Baylor, uh, even with Cunningham not playing in that game, uh, which, by the way, was such a weird situation with, you know, apparently it being a COVID situation, but he could mm. still be there. Um, <laughs> I, I never followed up on that, but that was just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was very weird. Uh, Texas is better than I thought there would be, but I also picked Texas I believe third preseason. I'm trying to think back to my ballot. Um, I I think for the most part, there are a lot of really good big 12 teams. The big 12 is loaded. This is the best the conference has ever been. Um, Kansas, this Kansas team, and people may think this is hyperbole, but it's really not. This Kansas team would have won the big 12 in other years. And it may not finish. I mean, it may finish fifth this year. Mm -hmm. Like, I, th- I think that should tell you how good the Big 12 is because Baylor is generationally good. I would have loved to see this year's Baylor team play last year's Kansas team. I honestly think this year's Baylor team is better. Um, and, and last year's Kansas team was undisputed the best team in college basketball. I, I think Baylor's better, and I would love to see Gonzaga play that team because that that would be you know that w- that would be incredible to watch. Um, you know, I, I think Texas is really, really good, has a lot of veterans. Um, I think Shaka Smart reportedly tested positive for COVID today, so obviously hope yep. he's okay. Yep. Um, but I like Greg Brown, too. I thought that was a big addition for them at the time. Um, Tech is obviously very, very good. West Virginia has kind of underperformed a little bit, but even they look to be figuring it out a little bit. The Big 12 is just loaded. There are there are basically seven great, good good plus teams in the big 12, probably three ish great teams. And then maybe a couple in the tier after that, but the conference is loaded and, and it, it has real quality depth. I think this year, I, I feel embarrassed to say this, man, I just pulled this up. I had Texas at number six in my preseason mm. big 12 poll. So that was not good, man. It's not I, terrible. It's not terrible <laughs> yeah. because there, are, if you think about it, like you could have said West Virginia was better than them. Yep. West Virginia looked amazing on paper. Yep. Kansas, Baylor, obviously. Uh, you could have had, um, oh, I'm forgetting an obvious one, Texas. Or no, we're talking about Texas. Um, <laughs> you could have had Texas Tech. Yes. That was the one I was thinking. Yeah. Who was who the fifth team? You had? I had Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. State at the five spot. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kate Cunningham, the best player in the mm-hmm. conference, arguably. So, you know, who can even hate on that? Although, I guess Jared Butler has kind of taken that one over. I saw Kate Cunningham here in Manhattan get outscored by a walk-on for K-State. So, I don't want to hear any of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think there'd be a little remiss if we didn't talk about K-State here. 
um, <laughs> for the listeners on Go Power Cat. What have your initial you know, takeaways been from that team? You're going to struggle when you only have one returning upperclassman, of course, but it's been it's been bad. It's gone from bad to worse lately in Manhattan. What have you seen? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've actually checked out a few uh, Kansas State teams or Kansas State games, including the most recent game against West Virginia, which um, that to me was the most discouraging game I've seen this year. Um, you know, I've, I've been impressed at times, you know, with certain guys like McGurl or Packer have done things that you know, I've been like, oh, that's, you know, that's impressive. I, I like the way they're playing. I, I like some of their young guys. I think uh, Davion Bradford has the chance to be a pretty good player. But that that to me was a discouraging one because that looked like West Virginia was not even interested in being in that game. They had multiple technical fouls. I mean, it got like bizarrely uh chippy at one point like mm-hmm. and yet like I mean it was still just like a, a complete dominant game and and honestly that to me would be the most troubling game this year um I, I know a lot of people would point to early in the year where they lost to like uh, the Fort Hayes State game which I did watch and I honestly believe Fort Hayes State was the better team that day like I, I didn't mm-hmm. I think Kansas State played hard I just think they got beat by a team that played its a plus game and Kansas State didn't have it that day yeah yeah um yeah but I mean, they've been okay. They've hung in some games. They've competed. Um, you know, I, I don't think we'll know until probably next year. You know, I, I feel I told Fitz this, and and it's funny. I feel about Kansas State this year the same way I do about Kansas football this most recent year. Which, if you're a Kansas State fan, I'm sorry. I'm sure that comparison it is not <laughs> what you wanted to hear. But by that I mean you can't evaluate. I mean, hardly anything, basically for another year. Like you've got to give it a chance. And this Kansas state team, I don't think ever really had a fair chance to be up there competing with the other teams, just because, you know, the off season departures, new team, new faces, all these new guys coming in. And then also the COVID stuff and the pandemic and, you know, it's not going to be the same. And and so, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll see what Kansas state is next year. We'll see what they are the year after that. Um, you know, Bruce Weber's had some great moments of that program. He kind of backdoored his way into elite eight, but, you know, he had to win a legitimate game against Kentucky to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dean yep. Wade was injured. So, you know, I don't think you can just take that away um, just because they got to play a 16 seed in the second round. Um, you know, he's had some really good moments. He's won, I think, two big 12s, right? He's tied for the lead twice. That's really impressive. Yeah. Um, I Only know some coach people want him out. Came to Manhattan that's done that. Yeah. Besides Bill, Bill Self, of course. But yeah, go on. No, I'm, I mean... I know some people are frustrated with him and, and want this to be the end of his tenure. Um, this is who he is. You know, this is a, you're seeing a, a rebuilding year in Kansas and it doesn't look great there. And and this is a very much a rebuilding year in Kansas state and it doesn't look great. So I don't know. I, I think we'll learn a lot about Bruce Weber the next two years. Um, and, and that'll probably be the determining, you know, whatever on if he's the Kansas state coach in two years, what does the team look like? And is this the group that is going to be that next group? you know, group of K-State young players to come together and, you know, mature over years. I I, I just wouldn't give up on them yet. I I think they've been really bad. They've been worse than I thought they were going to be probably by far, but I'm also a little bit more understanding of the set of circumstances that got them to this point. Um, And and I wouldn't be bailing just yet. I'm with you, man. You bring up a lot of good points. Uh, You know, your ceteris pairs, you know, Paribus, all things aside here, during the pandemic is only going to exacerbate all those problems with the young team, with the roster turnover. At the same time, though, you know, this happened in 2014-2015 season when Marcus Foster torpedoed the program. Happened again last year with Cartier Jada. That's unacceptable in my in my mind. But yeah. Gene Taylor's not going to do anything about that. He's uh, if, if there was a time to let Bruce Weber go, it was last year, right? 
Yeah, I, I, it's just tricky because, again, you know, I think a lot of it, too, is like who can you get right now? Who do you have the money for? Who, mm-hmm. you know, will be excited for? And, and you know, I, I, I just think it's tricky. Bruce Weber is is a hard coach to move on from because he does have those career highlights that are pretty good. Um, and if you make the wrong hire after a guy like Bruce Weber, you know, that can, that can really set your program back. Now, the good news is it's pretty easy to build a, you know, put two good recruiting classes together in a basketball program. And all of a sudden you have a great team. So like uh, the good news is it's kind of easy to recruit or get your way out of that. Even if you do make a bad hire after that, but you know, I, I think it would be hard to fire him this year. And, you know, again, like I'm, I'm not the biggest Bruce Weber guy. I think normally his defenses are pretty good. Normally his offenses are archaic and uh, they struggle horribly whenever Kansas throws even a basic zone at them. So, you know, I, I think Bruce <laughs> Weber is what he is. He develops talent at a, at a pretty good level, doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily recruit it at a great level, but he has a pretty good recruiting class from this last year and his teams come together. And, you know, at the end of the year, they've had some really, you know, impressive moments either in the league or, you know, what they did in the NCAA tournament that one year. So, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not the biggest Bruce Weber guy. I also don't think he's terrible. Um, I think he's a, you know, an okay solid coach and there's nothing wrong with keeping him around a couple more years, but you know, if, if you give him this chance, you let him take on this full, full rebuild where you bottom out and then try to build it up. And in a couple of years, it hasn't turned around. Then I, then I do think you, you have to make a change. And then I think it becomes pretty obvious. It's time to move on. Yeah. He's going up against, you know, some of the best coaches in America. So it's tough to be harsh on him, but at the same time, it's you're, you're Kansas state, right? You can't get those top rated recruits every season. You're going to go up, you're going to have your berries and deans and cams. They're going to leave. You're going to go back down a little bit. That's fine. That's natural. Didn't expect them to go this far down. Yeah. Uh, Moving forward in the season, they're going to have two games against Kansas, one home, one away. Uh, Let's just say a spread, man. What what would you even put that at? 20? Well, here's the thing. 15. We'll go 15. Yeah, I put the Baylor spread on our TV show. I believe I made us move it to 24 and a half. And the reason I picked that high and the spread was like 19 or something mm-hmm. and it was never going to be that high, but like that was more of an indication of like the maybe the gap in in talent, the gap in veterans, the gap in all these things. Kansas and Baylor or Kansas and Kansas State, excuse me, have similar like they're relying on youth. Kansas State is relying on way more newcomers, way more youth, but it's similar in terms of like, this is the stage one, whereas Baylor is like, this is the final stage. So I don't necessarily think it would be a 25 point blowout or anything like that. Yeah. I Hmm. think, you know, I'll take it. If it's less than 25, man, (laughs) 14 and a half in in Manhattan and 18 and a half, 19 and a half in in Lawrence. And I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's crazy, but if you told me both games were closer than that, if you told me both games were decided by, you know, seven to 15 points, I, w- I wouldn't be shocked. I would say, okay, you know, that makes sense. I would assume Kansas won both games. Um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe 12 and a half in Manhattan, 16 and a half in Lawrence. That that probably sounds about right to me. I'm not saying that, that K-State's going to beat KU. I'm not saying that at all. But I think K-State's going to pick up a win, maybe two wins, against a team that they're not supposed to beat simply because, you know, if you look at the scouting report, you watch their film – you're going to be like, what, this team? we got to play this team? I'm not even going to show up. So I think they got a chance to, you know, catch someone off guard, catch someone on cruise control later in the season. Um, last question for you, man, before we, let you, before we let you go. Moving forward in the Big 12, what's going to be the, the, the biggest surprise to fans here? Is it going to be – what team is going to surge and have a late-season push? Is it Kansas? 
I don't know. It could be, you know, I, I think the biggest surprise will probably be for a lot of people when like Baylor and Texas are both in the elite eight this year. And like people look around there. Oh, well, I guess they, they really were that good because as good as Baylor is, I mean, what, what percent of people would you do you think have watched a full Baylor basketball game? What percent of like even college basketball yeah, fans is not many. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe they've watched some when they've been in the top 10 matchup or something, but I, I still think like people don't understand how good this Baylor team is unless they're really watching. And the casual fans who see this team for the first time in March, like they are going to be stunned by how good this Baylor team is, how complete it is, how veteran, how athletic, how talented, how versatile, um, the defenders, everything. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. Mark Vidal is averaging like five points and five rebounds per game. And it's like universally agreed he's having a bad year. And like, that's a dude that, he could start on a national championship team, like mm-hmm. any yeah. national yeah. championship team from like the last 20 years. Like he's an insanely good glue guy, athlete, versatile. Uh, he has the right attitude that the kind of fiery competitive stuff that you want. And like, he's that, that's like the bad guy, you know, the, the guy who's having the bad year for mm-hmm. them is, is this dude that every single coach in America would beg to have on their team. You know, if he was transferring and you know, they, every single coach would come calling. So yeah, I, I think that'll be it. I, I just think it'll be the Big 12 will have a great uh, showing in March this year. Um, I guess you can clip this for when every Big 12 team goes out in the first weekend. <laughs> it'll be funny, but I, I think this will be a great year for the Big 12 in the NCAA tournament. Knock on whatever this desk is, <laughs> is made out of, man. I'm, I'll be honest, I am just, I have a bad feeling in my gut about Baylor just because Scott Drew, love him. He's <laughs> a great guy, great coach. He struggled in March, man. And that shock is smart. I don't have a ton of faith in him, but I sure hope you're right, man. I hope they can get it done. I think the talent is too much this time. Uh, yeah. Shaka only been out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament once, but I think this will be another year that he does that. Well, when he gets out, he goes pretty far, right? <laughs> yeah. Scott Jason from Fog.net. Scott, we appreciate you uh, hopping on with us. If you're from GoPowerCat, uh, you've got access to Fog.net and everything he does there um, with the 24-7 Sports Umbrella. Be sure to go check him out and everything he does. Scott, uh, once again, man, appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for having me. Once again, Scott Chasen from Fog.net. Like I mentioned, if you've got a membership to GoPowerCat.com, you're a VIP member, you got access to everything that Scott does. And if you listen to this podcast, not only does he know a lot about KU, but he knows quite a bit about K-State and the rest of the Big 12 as well. If you're not a member, GoPowerCat.com, you can get your first month if you're a new member for just $1. No reason not to sign up. Ryan Wallace just put up a great article about Skylar Thompson returning for, for the Wildcats next season. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, basketball season, as, as much as K-State is struggling, it's in full swing, so be sure to sign up if you're not already. Be sure to follow us on Twitter as well, at 10of12podcast. But other than that, I'm Ryan Gilbert, and we'll catch you next week, everyone.